They're looking into his personal life, um, whether or not this could have been a case of mistaken identity. The victim in a fatal daylight shooting at a Delta parking lot Saturday has been identified as a B.C. corrections officer. The latest on the investigation. Plus. From New York to Toronto coming back, there was no test done. Border concerns. A B.C. mother says her son returned from a custodial visit with his father in the U.S. with no mention of quarantine. And. I agree with what Judge Gordon said. This could be manslaughter. B.C.'s former attorney general backs a B.C. judge's scathing words for a penthouse party host as legal experts urge caution. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. A corrections officer was gunned down in Delta Saturday in that brazen shooting on Scott Road and 72nd Avenue. We reported on that during last night's news hour. It's an area that's busy with shoppers and motorists. As Grace Key reports, Delta police are now trying to figure out a motive for the 29-year-old's targeted murder. And a warning, the following story includes some disturbing images. The victim in a weekend shooting in Delta was a corrections officer. 29-year-old Bikramdeet Randawa of Surrey worked at Fraser Regional Correctional Center. The shooting is considered to be targeted. Investigators will be looking at all potential motives. They're looking into his personal life, um, whether or not this could have been a case of mistaken identity, and also whether or not this had any links to Mr. Randawa's um, profession as a uh, corrections officer. We just wanted to clarify that Mr. Randawa is uh, not considered to be known to police. Uh, so I uh, wanted to make sure that information uh, got out to the public. The brazen daytime shooting unfolded at 5 p.m. Saturday in Delta's busy Scottsdale Center Mall. A silver Audi was riddled with bullets and next to it, Randawa's body was covered by tarp. One young boy hopped out of the family car to move a shopping cart when he heard the initial shots. I saw like a guy with like a gun, a black one, and then he was trying to shoot the guy who was in Audi. A4, I think, and then he was trying to shoot him, and uh, he was running around like the, our car when he escaped from uh, the guy in the car escaped. He was like trying to shoot him, and then he was running around our car. Dramatic cell phone video moments after the shooting captures a man dressed in black wearing gloves running through the parking lot. He drops something and picks it up. He jumps over some bushes and doubles back. He appears to be looking for the getaway car. The gray SUV finally pulls up. He has trouble opening the door before he finally hops in with the object still in his hand. You can see someone else in in the back seat. At some point, the Audi crashes next to the Shell gas station adjacent to the mall parking lot. Cell phone video shows a first responder performing CPR on the victim. A man dining at the white spot patio across the street says he heard six shots. We saw two guys running across the street, across 72nd Avenue, towards the white spot. And uh, later on, we heard six more shots. And then uh, all of a sudden, the restaurant manager came and said, everybody get inside. We're locking this all down. Police confirmed the suspect vehicle used in the shooting was torched a short time later in Burnaby. Delta Police is asking for witnesses or anyone with video or dash cam footage to come forward. Grace Key, Global News. 
And less than 12 hours after that incident, gunfire erupted in Burnaby, targeting a 25-year-old Surrey woman. The incident happening near Joffrey Avenue and Dubois Street around 4 o'clock this morning. The woman was rushed to hospital with what were initially thought to be life-threatening injuries. She has now recovered to the point where she is cooperating with the investigation. RCMP have arrested a 43-year-old man, though police don't yet know how he and the woman are connected. That's, ex that's exactly what we're trying to determine at this point. So it's really unclear as to the shooter's relationship with the victim. We're still trying to determine what took place. What I can tell you is that at this time, we do not believe this to be involved with the Lower Mainland gang conflict. And we do not believe there to be any drug trade or drug, uh, drug transactions in this, in this situation. A day after homicide investigators confirmed human remains discovered outside of Hope are those of Trina Hunt, a memorial is growing outside the Port Moody woman's home. People are stopping by the home Trina Hunt shared with her husband on Heritage Mountain to drop off flowers. Photos of Trina have also been placed on the front lawn. Trina was reportedly last seen by her husband at their home on January 18th. The integrated homicide investigation team says human remains found south of Silver Creek near Hope in late March have since been identified as Trina and foul play is suspected in her death. The federal government says it's imposed extensive measures by land and by air to stop the novel coronavirus and its variants from arriving here in Canada. That's meant days of quarantining and multiple COVID-19 tests. But it has a Fraser Valley mother asking why her child was allowed to return to the country from an international flight like there wasn't a global pandemic happening at all. Amadagahi has that story. Abbotsford's Aiden Hove guard can say firsthand, getting a COVID test is not a comfortable experience. It goes up my nose and then like it feels like it's going to touch my brain. For a spring break custodial visit to New York City to see his father, the 12-year-old went through three COVID tests in a matter of two weeks, costing his parents hundreds of dollars to make sure he could legally travel. But according to his mother, when Aiden returned home from two weeks in the U.S., it turned out he had never been asked to present his negative COVID tests or even asked to quarantine in Canada. When I picked him up at the airport, the agents were there. They said, oh, there's mom. Okay, great. Uh, have a happy Easter and have a good night. And that was it. There was no mention of quarantine. There was no mention of uh, information gathering from like my address, my phone number, anything like that to do a check. Aiden came to Vancouver from New York City through a connecting flight in Toronto. The Canadian Border Services Agency won't comment on specific cases, but says all travelers seeking entry to Canada are subject to strict screening and security measures. And those on a connecting flight, upon their arrival, must book their three-day hotel stopover in advance in the same city of their initial arrival into Canada. Instead, Aiden says he walked straight to his connection flight in Toronto and even after arriving at YVR, the family says no one followed up with them to make sure he had a quarantine plan. And it makes it almost pointless. You're making it so difficult for us to travel and get our kids back and forth, but then you're just kind of letting us go without really checking. It's not clear if his age and the fact that he was traveling alone had anything to do with him potentially slipping through the cracks but his family took it upon itself to keep him isolated. I could have sent him to school. Of course, I was being responsible by not. Imadagahi, Global News. 
Well, the start of a new month brings hopes of stepping up BC's vaccination rollout. Keith Baldry is joining us now from Victoria with more on that. So, Keith, how many more doses are we expecting to get now? A lot more. And finally, the, we're going to see a rapid acceleration of our vaccination program uh, this month and particularly in June as well. Uh, so again, the, the number of doses coming in far exceed those up until now. Here's a look at the number of doses over the next month. We're going to be double the Pfizer vaccines, 276,000 a week for four weeks. Uh, 130,000 Moderna vaccines arrive mid-month. We don't know about AstraZeneca. That's a big question mark there. We may well get some, we may well not. Nevertheless, 1.2 million, more than 1.2 million doses are going to arrive in BC. And that puts us in a position to potentially have 70% of our target vaccinated before June. So we're almost at about 2 million people. We could hit 3 million people or in excess of 3 million by the end of this month. And again, our target is 4.3 million. We're not going to get all of those, but it looks like we're on track to achieve herd immunity at some point once we get the second doses, of course. But the number is looking increasingly positive for the coming months. So if you haven't got your vaccine yet or your, your appointment, you're likely to get one this month. All right, some positive news there. Hopefully that'll be the case for tomorrow's briefing that we're expecting as well. Keith, any idea yep. what we can expect in that? Well, it's interesting. Our, our daily case numbers have been going down. The average, the number of active cases has been declining. Our positivity rate has been dropping. So that's all very encouraging. And that will likely show up again tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be three days worth of numbers. The one, uh, a couple of numbers to keep an eye on that are worrisome. The number of people in hospital and the number of people in ICU continues to be at very high levels. Hopefully those numbers drop tomorrow. We'll know more tomorrow afternoon. Fingers crossed indeed. I'm still waiting for my appointment to book. So hopefully that'll come soon as well. Thanks so much right. for that, Keith. Well, some action has come as a result of the new Westminster Police Department speaking out about prioritizing vaccinations for their officers as first responders. Five new West police members were recently exposed to COVID-19 after interacting with a positive prisoner on Thursday. Fraser Health says members of the force were scheduled to receive shots later this month. So far, RCMP members in Surrey, Langley, White Rock, Burnaby, the Tri-Cities, Whistler and Kelowna have all had shots as well as city police forces in Abbotsford and Delta. Then last night, the New Westminster Police Officers Association tweeted their thanks to Vancouver Coastal Health, not Fraser Health, for offering members the shot. Charges have been dropped against a Vancouver man who spent Christmas behind bars for allegedly repeatedly hosting parties in violation of COVID-19 orders. 24-year-old Sean Adrian Lloyd had been accused of two offenses under the Public Health Act for allegedly having a gathering on December 18th. That was in his unit on the 48th floor of Trump Tower. Both charges were stayed by Crown last month after further information was received. The B.C. Prosecution Service says the charge approval standard could no longer be met in terms of the evidence necessary for a substantial likelihood of conviction. Lloyd was arrested on Christmas Day and spent a night in jail after police said they received 12 complaints about noise and parties at the downtown apartment since September. Lloyd is still facing a violation ticket under the COVID Measures Act over an alleged gathering on December 13th. Meantime, a B.C. judge described a Vancouver man's makeshift condo nightclub as a crime, not a party, during the sentencing this week. Kristen Robinson has more on Ellen Gordon's stern message to Mohamed Movazaghi and why legal experts say some of her scathing words may be hard to prove. A socially distanced and masked Momo Visaji following COVID rules. Two meters, right? 
as he walked away from provincial court with a sentence of 18 months probation and one day in jail after credit for time served for breaching public health orders. The 42-year-old arrested in January after turning his Vancouver penthouse into a party palace during the pandemic. Granny's exotic bar, complete with a stripper pole, stacks of cash in a safe, a DJ booth, and tons of alcohol. Judge Ellen Gordon didn't hold back, telling Movisaji, if someone who had been at your party was infected and died, as far as I'm concerned, you're guilty of manslaughter. If someone who had been at your party was infected and passed it on to grandma, as far as I'm concerned, you're guilty of manslaughter. This could be manslaughter because it was an unlawful act and it could result in death. Gordon compared Movisaji's actions to selling fentanyl on the street. There's no difference. You voluntarily assumed a risk that could kill people in the midst of a pandemic. The unlawful act would be the willful taking of chances by bringing all of these people in during a pandemic. That is reckless behavior. Ultimately speaking, if you pass COVID on to somebody and they die, you could legally be held responsible. <coughs> Although criminal lawyer and COVID survivor Kyla Lee says it would be very tough to prove in court. In those situations, transmission at the event would have to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. It would be a very difficult burden for Crown to meet. But both Lee and Wally Opal agree the judge's message to Movisaji is what everyone needs to hear. This type of conduct will not be tolerated. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Cleanup efforts continue at Strathcona Park after Friday's decampment deadline. Heavy equipment is at work as Vancouver Park Board staff dismantle the encampment. Police say a few people threw garbage and heavy objects at workers trying to clean up the park this morning. Officers stood by to keep the peace and no arrests were made. The park board says staff are facing challenges from unauthorized individuals entering the park and interfering with the work. There are folks who aren't necessarily on side with what we're doing, but, uh, um, you know, we respect that and uh, we continue with the work, as you can see, going on behind me. I'm happy that over 200 people are sleeping indoors. It's, it's a delicate situation and we're doing the best we can to do this with heart and do this the right way. The park board says everyone in Strathcona has either moved into or been offered accommodation. The entire east side of the park remains fenced off as staff do their best to remove debris. Well, for the second day in a row, climate change activists have blocked a major route in Vancouver. Dozens of Extinction Rebellion protesters marched onto the Granville Street Bridge this afternoon, blocking the span. They were met by a line of officers behind yellow tape. The demonstration is part of several days of action to back calls for more action to deal with the climate emergency. Yesterday, activists blocked the intersection of Granville and Georgia. Five people were later arrested. Eight people were arrested today as the bridge has since reopened to traffic. Coming up, speed prevention petition. People skip over that stop sign all the time. The calls for change after this dramatic crash was caught on camera in what residents call a notorious intersection in Vancouver. Plus, Vancouver Fire Rescue says it's the first department in the country to buy an electric fire truck what it means for the future of the industry. 
There is more fallout from a dramatic crash at a Vancouver intersection on Friday, a collision that was caught on camera. Residents have long complained about how some motorists routinely ignore the stop sign at Prince Edward and 57th, and now they've started a petition demanding better safety measures. My worst fear is someone I know dying, so it's come close to that already. Ramina Randawa is talking about the dangers of this notorious Vancouver intersection near her home where this dramatic crash was caught on surveillance video on Friday. I heard it at 7.30 in the morning, so seeing the footage again after that was quite traumatizing. It's the latest in what residents call monthly occurrences at Prince Edward and 57th, leading Rindawa to start a petition which already has hundreds of signatures. People skip over that stop sign all the time. Rindawa says her parents have been involved in a collision here. They survived, but tragically her neighbour, Harveed Munger's father, wasn't as fortunate. May 18 on the weekend, in the intersection, um, there was a car accident and sadly my father had passed away. That was in 2019. It happened around 7 p.m. when the 38-year-old was crossing the street and was hit by a Honda Civic. It happens very often. I usually see like um, crashes, ambulances usually coming around here. According to ICBC stats, there were 28 crashes in this intersection between 2015 and 2019. 19 of them involved someone being injured or killed. We signed the petition back then too, but they never did anything about it. In a statement, the city of Vancouver said it is working to address safety issues with a crew removing some tree branches obscuring the sign Sunday. Residents want to see speed bumps, traffic lights or a roundabout. City Councillor Lisa Dominato says a number of options are being considered like a pedestrian controlled crossing with solar panels similar to the ones near Dundas and Kamloops streets. When we're doing infrastructure uh, at intersections like this, I believe it's the city uh, that bears those costs. Pedestrian safety is a top priority for the city of Vancouver. Uh, we have a fantastic engineering team and I know this is a priority of council. It's helpful, but talking doesn't really do anything. They need to do something about it before someone else dies here. And late this afternoon, the VPD's bike unit posted on social media that they'll be doing some extra enforcement and patrols in the area in response to safety concerns raised. While there is hope, the road to Telegraph Creek in northwestern B.C. will reopen later this week. Heavy snowmelt had caused the washout on Telegraph Creek Road or Highway 51 in mid-April to shut down. The Transportation Ministry says precipitation throughout the past week created additional smaller slides. But it's hoped the route will finally reopen to light vehicle traffic in the next few days. Emergency supplies and food have been airlifted into Telegraph Creek since that's the only land route into and out of the community. Well, Vancouver could be the first city in Canada to roll out an all-electric fire truck. The Rosenbauer electric fire truck seen in North Vancouver on a sales tour last year acts as a fire pumper, off-road response rig and command center. Vancouver Fire Rescue has purchased one of the Austrian-made trucks, which costs about $1.6 million Canadian. The deputy chief says Vancouver will be the first fire department in the country and the third city in North America behind L.A. and Portland to adopt the environmentally friendly technology. The engineering design is being finalized and it's hoped the electric truck will be in Vancouver next year.
Well, with camping and other activities limited due to the pandemic, some families took part in another province-wide stay-at-home campout on their properties to raise funds for the COVID-19 Emergency Respond Fund this weekend. We've been roasting marshmallows, uh, making s'mores. Tents were pitched and signs were created by the Terry family of Surrey, who started this initiative. All the cash raised will be going towards the BCCDC Foundation for Population and Public Health. Nearly $5,000 was collected during last year's event. We'll wait to see how it does this year. All right, coming up, the concerning trend that has American health officials renewing a warning that COVID-19 doesn't discriminate by age. We've seen a lot of um, young people now hospitalized young people with long-term infections. Younger people are making up a growing share of serious COVID-19 cases in the U.S. Why the burden is shifting away from older generations. And four astronauts return to Earth from a record-breaking mission. Why the splashdown is the first of its kind since the Apollo 8 moonshot. It was five years ago tomorrow, the lives of thousands of people in Fort McMurray were changed forever. See how close this is to all of the vehicles that are trying to flee the area. We've been watching helicopters On May 3rd, 2016, residents were forced to evacuate as a massive wildfire threatened the city and surrounding areas. 90,000 people fled and 2,400 homes and buildings were destroyed. Five years later, much has been rebuilt, but the mental toll of the fire remains a significant concern. Certainly people have overcome so much in the last five years, but there's still much work to do in our region to support the mental wellness of our community. We have many people in our community who would say that um, the fire is a distant memory, but for others, it is still a daily challenge and struggle as there are individuals who are still trying to navigate, um, you know, building their homes or not having their neighbors back with them. And the pandemic putting a temporary hold on democracy in Alberta as COVID-19 ravages that province. The government has announced a two-week delay to the next sitting of the legislature. Members have been on a one-week break, but today the government said it would be too dangerous to bring members back to Edmonton for a new sitting because of further spread of the novel coronavirus. The province has seen more than 2,000 new infections in each of the last three days. The Alberta legislature is now expected to resume on May 17th. To the U.S. now, where they are seeing a disturbing shift in new COVID-19 cases. It is younger people in their 20s, 30s and 40s getting sick and in many cases hospitalized as well. Misinformation on social media is causing a lot of young people to refuse the vaccinations, which has doctors concerned. Jennifer Johnson has more. After racing to vaccinate older and elderly Americans, a population hit hard in earlier waves of the pandemic, doctors are now seeing a clear demographic shift in new COVID-19 cases. Young adults are filling up hospital wards. Young people have this misconception that um, COVID is no big deal. It is a big deal. And we've seen a lot of um, young people now hospitalized, young people with long-term infections. States have opened up vaccination sites to everyone over the age of 16. Following an unprecedented rollout, vaccination rates are now dropping by about 500,000 a day nationwide. Doctors are telling young people the vaccines are their best weapon against the virus, but they're hearing a different story on the Internet. In social media, there are a lot of rumors going around about how the vaccine is not important or how we don't need it because we're not at high risk. 
Young adults 18 to 30 make up the highest number of unvaccinated people in the country. Some states, like West Virginia, are using incentives, offering a $100 savings bond to anyone 16 to 35 who gets vaccinated. Our kids today don't really probably realize just how important they are in shutting this thing down. Many colleges are now taking a hard line, requiring students be vaccinated before returning in the fall, so that this school year isn't a repeat of last year's. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. A grim new milestone in India today, nearly 3,700 new COVID-19 deaths in a single day. The country's health care system is struggling to cope with the massive caseloads. Authorities reported 392,000 new cases in the past 24 hours. Many families have been left on their own to scramble for medicine and oxygen. Nearly 10 Indian states and union territories have imposed some kind of restrictions, even as the federal government refuses to impose a national lockdown. Down. A successful splashdown for SpaceX crew members as four astronauts return back to Earth in the middle of the night near Panama City. Take a look. The Dragon capsule dubbed Resilience parachuted into the Gulf of Mexico just six and a half hours after departing the International Space Station. Three Americans and one Japanese astronaut spent nearly six months at the orbiting lab. After they recover, the crew will be flown to NASA's facilities in Houston. They're expected to undergo a short quarantine period, and the crew had spent 167 days in space. Quite the quick trip back. All right, time for a short break. We'll be back quickly as well. Up next, the question to shake or not to shake. The grasp and greet, which is two hands, one in front of the other. As more Americans get their immunizations, how many are coming to grips with the uncertain future of handshakes? Stay with us. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Culturally speaking, the handshake dates back to the 5th century BC and you used to shake hands to show that you didn't have a weapon. But will we ever shake hands again? A look at how the once favorite custom is changing and what the alternatives may be. We'll have that story just ahead. But right now, more people will be putting away their winter outdoor gear after this weekend. Today is the final day for skiers and snowboarders on the North Shore to hit the slopes on Grouse Mountain for the season. The mountain will be closed Monday and Tuesday for scheduled maintenance. Mount Seymour and Cypress Mountain close for the season back on April 11th. And for a look at the forecast, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell now. Yvonne, I have to admit, I didn't get out for a walk today. All I've been doing is looking at the tape in our system for all the stories we've run, and it seems like it was a nice day out there. It was gorgeous out there, Nithu. We had plenty of sunshine. Temperatures were quite warm, especially for the southern interior. A bit of a blip in the forecast is for tomorrow, and I'll have the timeline and what we can anticipate in just a moment. But it's beautiful overlooking English Bay. We've had a few clouds in the mix, and we'll see that overnight tonight. We're sitting at 14. It's breezy with a southerly wind sustained at 9. And right now we are seeing gusts out of the airport at 30 kilometers per hour. A gorgeous shot. This is what it looked like. Uh, thank you so much, Avelina, for sending in that and our numbers today. So we got up to 21 degrees near Lillooet, Asuyus, and Trail, all included within that. Kamloops today up to 20 degrees. Out of the airport, 15 areas away from the water and inland, up to 17 degrees. Here's a quick glance, though. Overnight tonight, we'll have an increase in cloud cover still remaining dry. Temperatures will dip down to 8 degrees. And then as we get in towards 
towards tomorrow morning, that's when the rain starts to pick up for all areas across the south coast. We'll see periods of rain for the afternoon, and it'll be a touch cooler for tomorrow with temperatures sitting at 12 degrees. Here's the next weather maker. It's a trough that's going to sweep across the province. It'll move in for all areas, and we do have some instability, especially through the afternoon. By tomorrow morning, there's a precipitation along the south coast, and by the afternoon, for the central interior, we even have the potential or the risk of thunderstorms, so a heads up, and the precipitation for the interior will start to pick up towards the afternoon. Rainfall amounts uh, two and up to four centimeters along the south coast. The interior for the central half and along the north coast could get up to 10 millimeters. Now the northern half of the province for tomorrow for areas closer to the water temperatures will be up to nine degrees. The instability is there. It'll stretch in towards the northeastern corners and much of the central interior through the afternoon and early evening with the risk of thunderstorms. Tomorrow morning for the southern interior, it's a dry start, increasing cloud cover. Chance of showers will start to move in and that'll be towards the afternoon. So a heads up, that's when we'll start to see the precipitation moving in. Whistler, a cooler day tomorrow with highs just up to 11 degrees. And along the south coast where the rain is going to develop for tomorrow morning, this will be the blip in the forecast. It'll be a soggy one for tomorrow, but the good news is it rebounds quite quickly Tuesday Wednesday areas away from the water could even get up to 21 degrees and then the next weather maker will be for a Thursday onwards Nithu wow good news indeed thanks so much Yvonne well as more people get vaccinated and start to venture out yet another dilemma is presenting itself to shake or not to shake Jane Wells takes a look at the future of the favorite greeting are you ready for hand-to-hand -hand combat? I mean, contact? Maybe not. You're offering me your hand? You don't you want to watch it? Uh, okay, let me think about it. Okay. As we ditch Zoom for the outside world, the pressure is real. Right, let's do it. A year ago, Dr. Anthony Fauci said handshakes should maybe go away. I think I threw that out there to get people to start thinking much more about personal hygiene. But it's been a long year. We've got plenty of hand sanitizer now at the ready, and we could all use a hug. Well, <laughs> maybe not everyone. What about hugs? Uh, I have no problem with hugs. You want a hug? I'm good right okay. now, but thank you. <laughs> Micah Meyer of Beaumont Etiquette says no one should feel pressured to shake hands, and she suggests a couple alternatives. The first is the grasp and greet which is two hands, one in front of the other, over your heart, and then a nod and a verbal explanation. So for instance, oh, I'm going contactless. I just want to make sure I keep you nice and safe. Her second option is put your hands behind your back, stop, and nod your head. Now, other cultures have long greeted each other hands-free. Uh, that's me crying at my son's wedding in Japan. But in America, it's all about the handshake. It's a greeting, a contract. It's hard to measure a person by their firm elbow tap. So culturally speaking, the handshake dates back to the 5th century BC and you used to shake hands to show that you didn't have a weapon. Are you shaking hands? I'm shaking hands to anybody because I've been vaccinated. So while some will stick to the fist bump or more extreme measures, hoping to never touch anyone and get sick from anything ever again, some Americans are ready to hug it out. Jane Wells, CNBC Business News, Los Angeles. It'll be interesting to see how the future unfolds. Do you have a pre preferred greeting?
How, I think it might be the, the the fist pump for an hour bump. <laughs> yeah, I think so, right? I think it'll have to be that for an hour, an air high five of some sort. There's so many. I like the idea of adopting what other cultures do. In Punjabi, yeah. we say sastrika, and we just put our hands together, and that's it. No contact. Nice, <laughs> nice. There certainly is contact, though, in many of the sports, Barry, mm -hmm. that you'll be reporting on what's yeah, going on today. Yeah, of course, in, in, the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, after a series over, the, the players always shake hands. I, I don't think the Canucks have to worry about a, an alternative, unfortunately, because <laughs> yeah. I don't think the playoffs are in their hands. Oh. We'll break down the numbers of what they'll have to do to get in, and it's uh, it's between slim and none. And of course, uh, none just left the building, or slim left the building. However, that saying goes. Anyway, we'll have that and another uh, Canadian won a pro golf event. Uh, it was Brooke Henderson last week, and you got another one this week. So I'll tease that coming up as well. Right, we got some. Maybe bad news and some good news there in sports. Looking forward to the eclectic mix. And also coming up, welcoming whiskey lovers. To embrace the history and all the stories that go along with this uh, particular building. How a historic building that sat empty for years is being transformed into a unique distillery development in Kamloops. Stay with us. Well, Kamloops residents can look forward to a new distillery to try out this summer. It is called Iron Horse Distillery, and it's set to open and serve all types of whiskeys at the old CN Rail Station downtown by August. As Chad Klassen of CFJC News reports, the new distillery hopes to revitalize the old heritage building while also revitalizing the region. Enjoy some locally produced uh, uh, spirits as well. Steve Earle and John Romick think they have the next big idea for Kamloops. Iron Horse Distillery, as it's being called right now, would be built next to the old CN station downtown. There would be a tasting room inside the 94-year-old heritage building that was last host to the keg. We've seen success that uh, you know our wine industry seen with the wine trail and our local breweries, and uh, you know the distilling and the spirits world is, is just the next uh, step in that evolutionary phase right now. And this is this is a great fit for our local community first and foremost, but also for the the many visitors that uh, would normally come into Kamloops. The hope is to open the tasting room and potentially a restaurant depending on COVID restrictions by August, while the distillery gains approval from the city. The main floor first, uh, we'll be doing a tasting room and using the existing infrastructure that's there as well as uh, getting the bar going. And that will allow us to spill out onto the patio and uh, start you know, building some cash flow into the location here in, well, we hope uh, in July, August. This group is in the process of buying the building for $2.5 million and welcoming whiskey lovers. They feel it's the perfect location for their vision. To be right on the, on the railway track, to embrace the history and all the stories that go along with this uh, particular building and this area and, and the railway. They're still looking for investors in touch with some high-profile Kamloops people. The idea is to revitalize the old building and the entire downtown to give people incentive to come. First of all, you're revitalizing a building that's uh, been part of this community, like I said, since 1927 and has such a heritage. Uh, and then you're adding in that amenity, uh, you know, people of Rocky Mountaineer comes into town and, and what can you do well, to be able to go and do a, a tour through a, a working distillery and buy something that's uniquely Kamloops to take back with you. Uh, visitors are looking for that. Chat Klassen, CFJC News. And coming up, the new tech helping to get golfers back on the course a lot sooner. Plus, changing lives with a haircut. Specifically during COVID, it's been a great help to me to have her by my side. The PADS volunteer finally getting his snipped after getting vaccinated and raising funds for charity. We'll have that story and more next.
This may help kids get back into their genes. Join us and the BC Children's Hospital Foundation as we gene up to help kids get out of their hospital gowns and back into their genes. Simply donate or fundraise online with your company or school and then pick a time to show your gene up spirit throughout the month. Catch Sophie Louie at the Heart and Stroke Gala at-home edition. Don't miss the fun-filled virtual event with great entertainment, virtual auction, and inspiring guests. Help them raise funds to support four exceptional heart and stroke researchers in BC. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back for sports, and Barry, you didn't mince words when it comes to the Canucks prospects here moving forward. I was just being honest. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's just been a tough year, pretty much, and uh, the writing is certainly on the wall. Thanks, Neithu. The uh, Canucks are back home after an 0-4 Ontario road trip. Now they get to play the high-flying Oilers four times in six days, starting with back-to-backs Monday and Tuesday at Rogers Arena. The math is not good for the Canucks. They are 14 points behind the fourth place Habs with 11 games to go. Even if Montreal struggled and went, say, two and four in their final six, the Canucks would need to go nine and two, which doesn't appear likely, but they will go down swinging at least. It is disappointing. Um, at the same time, you know, we can't dwell on it and and just say we're going to pack it in. we got to still come to the rink and, and, and uh, be willing to play here um, these last 11 games and play hard. I mean... No, we're we're not out of it until we're mathematically out of it, and and as long as we still have a chance, we gotta we gotta come to the rink every single day um, and play hard. Just one game in the NHL after a full 15-game schedule yesterday. Lightning and Red Wings, and the Lightning strike just 16 seconds in. Blake Coleman pulls the trigger to beat Jonathan Bernier, one nothing Tampa, and then early second they add another Mikhail Sergachev. Screenshot from the point is going to find room five hole, two nothing. Tampa, but the Wings get one back. It's Philip Zadina. Now, he was the Red Wings' first-round pick in 2018 that allowed the Canucks to take Quinn Hughes. I think the Wings might want to redo that one. Tampa won 2-1. They are tied second in the East Division, just two points back of first-place Carolina. The Whitecaps uh, kick off the top at the uh, top of the hour against Colorado. You can listen to the radio broadcast on AM 730. Whitecaps off to a solid start. One win, one draw in their first two. The Rapids have just a single point. We'll have highlights tonight at 11. PGA Tour champions from Texas. First round washed out by rain, so the tournament reduced to 36 holes. And Canadian Mike Weir in contention. His approach at the par 5 13th. Look at this. Almost goes in. He would tap that in for Eagle, tied for the lead with John Daly. Now Weir bogeyed the next hole, but bounces right back at the 15th. Another par 5, another great approach with the fairway medal. And he would get a two-putt birdie there to get back to 10 under and tied for the lead. Now Daly on the 18th, still tied with Weir. His approach shot on the par 4. He is going to find the water. Say what? Yeah, made double bogey there. Mike Weir will now tap in for the win. It's his first victory on the Champions Tour in 14 events. He's now 50. He'll turn 51 next week. His last PGA Tour win was 13 years ago. Final round of the Valspar Championship from Florida. Keegan Bradley stepped onto the 13th tee, tied for the lead with Sam Burns. But Bradley's tee shot, a little too aggressive, kind of overcooks the draw, and that is going to find... The water, it's a disastrous double bogey for Bradley, who now trails by two. Meanwhile, Burns got hot. Third shot on the par 5, 14th. He will 
stuffed this one to two feet, made the birdie, stretched his lead over Bradley to three shots. And then at 16, feeling it, will roll in an 18-footer for another birdie, and that seals the deal. He will tap in at the 18th for the three-shot win. Sam Burns wins his first-ever PGA Tour event at age 24, the Valspar Championship. Corey Connors, top Canadian, tied 21st at five under par. Well, try getting a golf tee time these days. It ain't easy. Uh, you might be so desperate, you'll play a course that just aerated its greens. Now, punching greens is one of the necessary evils every spring and fall for golf courses. It makes for healthier turf and, of course, smoother putting surfaces. Traditionally, aeration has disrupted the playability of the greens for 10 to 14 days. But new technology being used at Richmond's Mayfair Lakes has helped speed up the process and get golfers back on course quicker than ever. If you want to see golfers scatter, just mention the greens have been punched. No one wants to play on sand-filled plugs, even for a reduced rate. But new technology has sped up the recovery process from two weeks to just a couple of days. Instead of taking out large plugs that go three inches deep with the traditional aerator, a new device that attaches to a greens mower takes less turf and also speeds up a very slow process. I can have all 20 greens here, which is roughly 130,000 square feet. Uh, we can do that in about four and a half hours compared to the walk behind, which would take us roughly two days. The amount of sand we need to put on the greens is less because there's less of a hole to fill. Uh, the, the recovery is quicker because the hole has, is a smaller area. And getting those playing conditions back up to par means happier members and more full price green fees. In other words, it's good for business. We want to provide and deliver the product that we're known for. We're able to have that delivered to the golfer within three or four days, right? And not having to reduce the fees to get them to come out and play over a two week period. So the recovery time is that much quicker. Members and guests were just absolutely blown away with the conditions, especially members that have been here for 20 years and have know, that know that after aeration, it's it might not even be worth playing because the greens are just not in that good of shape. Um, and for them to come out and get that feedback that they were, it was like I didn't do anything, essentially. Um, I mean, that's huge right there. A wild scene at the home of Manchester United today where Man U was scheduled to play Liverpool in an English Premiership match, but supporters showed their displeasure with team ownership, the Glazer family, who are Americans. Supporters turning up the heat on all of the owners of those breakaway teams who tried to join the failed Super League. No word yet on a rescheduled date. Well, four members of the television broadcast crew at the Women's World Curling Championships in Calgary tested positive for COVID-19, forcing one draw to be postponed today. And TV coverage has been halted until at least Tuesday. The afternoon draw did go on as planned. Canada played the United States and lost 7-6. So Kerry Einerson is now 1-4, struggling mightily at the Worlds. Baseball today, Blue Jays and Braves. Toronto going for the three-game sweep. Tied at one in the third. Marcus Simeon will rip a double down the line and left. Two-run score on the play. Simeon was a great pickup in the offseason. 33 homers, 92 RBI back in 2019 with Oakland. He's got good power and he's got a good veteran leadership to help the young infielders as well. George Springer had the two 
two home runs yesterday, but he tweaked a quad muscle running out a grounder in yesterday's game. Struck out twice today, so Charlie Montoyo pulled him from the game as a precaution. No need to push it this early in the year. Bottom of the eighth, Simeon caps a great day, smashes a two-run shot to left center. He had four RBIs. The Jays sweep the Braves, 7-2. Toronto now 14-12, second in the AL East. Just a game and a half back of the Red Sox. Portuguese Grand Prix, Valtteri Botas sitting on the front, uh, sitting on the pole. Teammate Lewis Hamilton joined him on the front row. Hamilton will take the lead for good here on lap 50. Blows past Sergio Perez. Is Mercedes the best car in the field yet again? And Lewis Hamilton with his 97th career victory. Max Verstappen second, Valtteri Botas third. The Canadians, Lance Stroll was 14th and Nicholas Latifi 18th. And that is it for sports. Me too, back to you. All right, thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, a deep dive into our BCTV archives. 35 years since we welcomed the world to Expo 86. Stay with us. This is a heartwarming story. A longtime service dog volunteer put his money and hair to good use in Burnaby today. Take a look. More than a year ago, Sean Laurie decided to grow his hair out to fundraise for his beloved charity, Pads, which trains and pairs up assistance dogs with those who need them. Vowing to raise thousands of dollars and not get it cut until he got the shot, today was the day to finally break out the scissors. Pads, along with many charities, have been hit hard by the pandemic, and today's $10,000 donation goes a long way to ensuring it can continue to change lives. His hair will also be donated to Eva's Wigs for BC Children's Hospital. Wow, what a great call. Wow. Great to have hair at any age, especially. <laughs> no kidding. Speaking I can speak of, for that. Yeah. Speaking of any age, a warning. If you were around in the 1980s, this next story might just make you feel <laughs> a little bit old. It has been exactly 35 years since Expo 86 opened to the public. So, ladies and gentlemen, together with my wife, we have the greatest pleasure in declaring Expo 86 officially open. There is Prince Charles and Princess Diana on hand to open the World's Fair on May 2nd, 1986. Over five months, more than 22 million people filed through the expo gates. The theme was transportation and communication. There was a monorail, the brand new SkyTrain, which Charles and Diana actually rode to Central Park in Burnaby, and two Skyride gondolas. Thank goodness those never had a serious breakdown because as you're about to see in this expo training video, the evacuation procedure was terrifying for anyone with a fear of heights. It is a dangerous maneuver, one these operators hope they will never have to use. After reaching the stranded passenger, the rescuer must persuade him to climb into an escape bag. A real passenger may not be as cooperative as this expo employee. Great look back. All right, thank you so much for joining us tonight, everybody.